Welcome everyone to another episode of Church Talks. I have a friend of mine that I literally, I think I've only ever seen her in person twice, maybe. Um, And both of them have been at one of our favorite places in all of the world, St. Francis Springs Prayer Center. And this friend currently lives in the great city of, is it Raleigh? Raleigh. Raleigh, yes. This is Meredith Rawls, everybody. Welcome, Meredith. What's up, guys? It's good to be here. Look, and this episode is going to be aired on your birthday weekend. Oh, Um, yeah. So your birthday is, what, July 2nd? July 2nd. Yes. So, and this will air on July 1st. Um, So, happy early birthday. Thanks. Thanks for listening. It's a good birthday (laughs) present. (laughs) Yes, I know. Like, you're going to be able to share this on all of your social media stuff, and people can listen to you on your birthday. Is that not the coolest thing? Wow. Wow. (laughs) Here's my update for the year, everybody. Right. They're going to get to know um, a lot that maybe they wouldn't know just in casual conversation, because I don't do a lot of casual conversation on this podcast. You know, the first couple minutes, maybe. Uh, But we get into, like, really good like rich stuff so and you're a really good rich person and I say that because literally on our first time ever meeting that was uh you could say accidental like I don't believe in accidents I don't believe in coincidences but when you were uh checking in to St. Francis I was checking out and they were literally cleaning the hermitage that I was checking out of for you to check in. So it was like a very brief interaction that we had. And then we ended up having lunch. And by the time we parted ways, I was seriously contemplating leaving the country with you <laughs> to, go, I remember um, to go walk El Camino. And um, it didn't happen. Spoiler alert. But that's just the, the impact. It, it could happen still in the future because I know you want to go back and I still want to go. So that's just the impact that you had that I was willing to do something like that, which I am a crazy person in general. But it was nice to like, you know, connect with somebody who's also crazy. I remember both of us were there and I think we both needed some profound silent time. Yes. And I remember within the first two minutes of meeting you, we were talking about prison ministry and the prison system. And then yes. and then you were going to leave. But then we ended up having lunch and realizing that we were kindred spirits. And I feel like everything that happens at St. Francis at the prayer center feels divinely led. Like it feels it feels 100%. like a lot of Holy Spirit connections happen there. It's, it is weird. It's it's so weird and so cool. And even since meeting you, which has been, um, gosh, has it been over a year now? I feel like it was At, two years ago. No way. Or was it a year ago? No, it was a year ago because I went yeah. on the Camino last July. Right. So it was wow. like it was it was right about a year ago. And um, and since then, I've stayed at St. Francis a few times and have met other people that I feel like also was a pretty divine connection. Um, they're not they're not another Meredith though like (laughs) I did not um contemplate or consider leaving the country with any of them I should say that but uh but some of them have been on my podcast and it's just taken over a year now to have you on my podcast so wild thanks for that yeah life's (laughs) been pretty wild so it's good to finally be here thanks I am thanks for working with me 
dude, thanks for just being in my life. Um, I am, I'm excited to get into your story because I think that you have so much to share that is hopefully going to be therapeutic and beneficial for you. But I know of like the listeners that I have, um, that have gone through similar things that you have that they're going to just, I feel like they're going to get a lot of perspective and a lot of hope out of your story and out of your life. And I know that you are still walking through some really hard times and Mm -hmm. I will let you talk about as much of that as you want to, but I will not push anything. Um, So this is going to be as happy and positive and upbeat as an episode as you want it to be. Uh, Just not negating the fact that life is hard sometimes. And, uh, so I want to start first by just asking you, what does a day in the life of Meredith Rawls look like? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that is a funny question. It yes. is highly entertaining. It is spicy and sassy and silly and very deep and very profound with a lot of feelings mixed into the pot. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now I'm doing a residency as a chaplain at Wake Med Hospital in Raleigh. And so it is a trauma one center. And basically it feels like I'm drinking from a lot of fire hoses these days. Um, <laughs> it feels like I'm a full-time graduate student and also a full-time staff chaplain in the hospital. Um, I'm basically over all of surgery trauma at the hospital. And so I'm the head chaplain point person for the surgery trauma ICU and then for a surgery trauma step down and then for an oncology orthopedic floor as well. Um, And then an extension of the emergency department. So life is really, really deep. I feel like that's core to who I am, but also lots of giggles and laughing and weirdness um, (laughs) in the midst of a lot of God and Holy Spirit and deep things that happen in the day. So anyway, I'm doing residency during the day, which means I'm at the hospital from 8.30, no, from 8 until 4.30, Monday to Friday. And then I have an on-call shift at the hospital once a week. And so that's a 12-hour shift in which I basically respond to all the dings of the dings on a pager or on a phone or the alerts in the hospital of like everything bad that could happen in the hospital. So whether that be someone passing, whether that be traumas coming into the hospital, whether that be heart attacks, strokes coming into the hospital, or just like heavily grieving families and staff reaching out to me to be kind of the contact um, to provide grief support for people. Um, and that those on-calls also include 12-hour overnight shifts. So I think nine months in, maybe 10 months. I'm pretty sleep deprived. I'm pretty exhausted, but Mm -hmm. I think my life just feels very different and very changed. And I think chaplaincy has really taught me how to live and has reminded me of just how fragile life is. And I know people toss around the yellow, you only live once, but it's Mm -hmm. for real, for real. Um, So I think being around life and death and being around the fragility of life every day, it just it reminds me to cherish the small things and just to squeeze the goodness and the joy out of every day. And so anyway, chaplain during the day, and then I usually leave. I'm really into dancing these days. So I try to hit the (laughs) dance floor at the YMCA. Um, Also really into gardening these days. Um, I feel like it's super healing just to get your hands dirty in the earth, be in the soil and just watch God grow things. Mm -hmm. Um, 
without doing anything to it, just letting God work magic and grow produce, flowers, plants, trees, all the things. Um, so I also have a dog who's my best friend. So um, I feel like I go on long walks a lot. And then there's a garden with a lot of flowers and a labyrinth by my house. And so I try to just be still. Um, yeah, especially these days as residency's ending mm-hmm. and I'm trying to figure out what's next. I think stillness feels really important right now. Wow. So, All right. And yeah. that's the end of the podcast episode. Right there. Yeah. And then I try to see my friends and there's usually beer mixed into the. You gotta love that. I'm not, I'm not saying we cope with the trauma. I'm, I don't think I'm definitely not becoming an alcoholic. No, I don't even do that every day, but you gotta have fun and live life on the edge a little bit. Um, Dude, yeah, I don't even come home know. and have a good beer. Yes, and there's a lot of good beers to be had. Oh yeah, like yeah, not not these like cheap domestic things. Um, there's some really good brewskis. Oh yeah, out Solid there in the beer. world. Yeah. yeah. So I'm definitely like a pastor Christian girl who likes a good cold beer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is why we're friends. <laughs> like, no, mm-hmm. I mean not the only reason. Uh, one of many one of many reasons um we're very independent and and driven and we love god and we love fun and we don't run from hard things uh we probably actually run to them obviously knowing your life and it is just it's crazy to me to think of what you do on a day in a day out basis because uh like i know you like to have fun and i can imagine how hard it is to transition from your like nine to five job or, you know, whatever it is, your 40 hour week job as a chaplain, you know, in, in a hospital where you're having to deal with all kinds of situations. I don't even like, we, we could probably talk the entire episode on like just the stories that you've had to experience with that. And then to try to transition into just like social life and, and and laughing and stuff like that and I'm like no wonder you have these long walks with your dog with stillness because you probably just need to like breathe for a little bit after that um yeah how long have you been doing this residency I started in August um so it has been a wild ride for sure um I think it's just important for me to balance solitude but also balance being held by community Mm -hmm. um so I think even when things feel really, really hard and really intense at the hospital where I'm just surrounded by a lot of trauma, it's easy to just go in a little turtle shell um, and not know how to process or not want to be social or not know how to do that. Um, mm-hmm. But I think I've just learned the art this year of of realizing that it's so important to be held by our people and to hold our people Um, And so I think finding the delicate balance of being still and having time by myself just to breathe and also dance and move my body and just get a lot of stress and trauma out of my body um, while also being held in community has just been really special. So I started residency in August and it has definitely been one of the hardest years of my life, but I think definitely one of the most fulfilling um, mm-hmm. and I lived in Chicago a couple years ago 
and just was really, really connected to a neighborhood and the community that I was living in. And I feel like nothing has felt such like home as my life in Chicago. And I feel like I'm finally able to taste a similar level of happiness that I've experienced in Chicago. And I think because this year has been such a balance of holding lightness and darkness together, I think it's just it's just blended to feel really sweet and really and really really powerful um I was also gonna share I feel like I've really been into this quote that I've seen this week it's kind of an excerpt from a an author named Bianca Sparacino she does a lot of writing about hardship and grief but also what it means to find healing in the midst of that and she talks about happiness and I've just been thinking a lot about how I just feel utterly happy lately, even in the midst of just being in hard situations and being amongst grieving people often, yeah, every day. But it says, I think we've been taught from such a young age that happiness is meant to be this big, all-consuming thing, that it, that it is this moment that cracks open our bones and changes our lives and sweeps all the weight inside of us away, that it is something that is awarded to us, gifted to us by the world, that it is something we are always in pursuit of until we find it. And so we are always waiting, waiting for this experience, this simplifying in life, this aha moment where the wounds are all healed and growth is all organized neatly within our rib cages and our hearts aren't afraid of loving anymore and the warmth never leaves. But I don't think this happiness is big or infinite at all. I think real happiness, true happiness, exists in the acceptance of the fact that we will always be balancing what is light and dark within ourselves. I think real happiness, true happiness, exists in the quiet, in the small things, in a morning cup of coffee, in the sound of your mother's voice on the other end of the phone. I think real happiness, true happiness, is believing that you are meant to be here, that you are meant to take up space in this world. I think real happiness, true happiness, is finding the human beings who take care of you. Not in a materialistic way, but rather finding the human beings who take care of your soul, who take care of even the most chaotic parts of who you are. I think real happiness, true happiness is all around you at all times, penned and blooming in the things you stopped paying attention to because you were always searching for more. Flowers on your walk to work, the intensity in the air when you meet someone and you know they're going to change your life, the way your stomach flips when you hear your favorite song. The way your person's eyelashes feel as they blink across your neck when you're holding them. And I don't think happiness is something you find or that it is a destination you get to when the night never comes and you are bulletproof and unaffected by the mayhem. I think the mayhem will always exist. We are literally made from it. We wouldn't even be here if it weren't for the crashing and the banging of atoms within this universe. No, I think happiness exists in the understanding that the pain holds just as much importance as the beauty. I think happiness exists in finding the things that make us feel known and special and at peace in this world, no matter how small or insignificant they feel, and letting them save us. I think happiness exists in learning how to embrace the dark and learning how to see it as the very thing that makes us appreciate the light. Bless Bianca. I really love this quote. Okay. Like, hard stop. I thought you wrote that. You texted this to me, and you did not tell me that it was not your work. 
Really? Oops. <laughs> Should have cited better. I, I even, because at the end of it, it says, from my next book with a heart. I thought you wrote that, and I even sent it back to you with highlighted things that, like, spoke to me the most. And I was just like, man, that's so good. Meredith is such a great writer. Guys, this was actually a podcast where <sighs> Catherine was going <laughs> to sell my next book because she thought this was a quote for me. It's definitely not. But okay, I love so her, who- and she has gotten me through some of the hardest, darkest Whoa. seasons of my life. God AKA bless the, AKA the past two years have been really well, hard but we're doing great now and you know and days are still hard but I think overall I feel very happy and I see that like I see that in you and I have seen I, I think when we met a year ago I think like you said you were you were coming to St. Francis because it was a very like pivotal point in your life um, and it was a lot of hard stuff that you were dealing with and so I met you in that moment and I have seen and we've we've had conversations although we've only actually seen each other once since then uh we've had phone calls and texting conversations and i know that it's been a lot of hard days and it will continue to uh mm-hmm. but i've i've really enjoyed seeing you like whether it's on social media or be real or you know just over the phone like i've i've enjoyed seeing you happy and yeah. i think that that is such a good feeling to experience from someone else like when you can actually genuinely feel somebody is happy um yeah and it, it won't always last like that but man you can feel it when it's there yeah so. I don't I don't wish hard experiences or pain or suffering on anybody but I can say retrospectively that I would not be this level of self-aware or kind to myself or I think just genuinely happy and mm-hmm feeling so much growth in my life if it wasn't for the suffering in which I felt like my heart was shattering after a breakup two years ago that I thought was going to be marriage and the rest of my life Um, and so it was blindsiding and just such a big pivot that yeah I didn't know how to get over and I think I just felt so stuck for a long time Um, but I think I've had to pour into myself and learn to love being with myself and love even the hardest parts about myself. But I think it also has pointed me back towards the way that God sees me and seeing me as Meredith, who's loved and not just Meredith, who is in a partnership. Um, and so I think, I think especially the past year has been really healing and you mentioned that I did go on the Camino. I did. Right. Um, if and and that changed your life. Camino is, if you've heard of the movie The Way with, who is it? Emilio. Who is it? I have Who's, no idea. Oh, is it a it's movie? With, no, it's with Martin Sheen. The Way with Martin Sheen is basically, okay. I feel like how people in the U.S. know what the Camino is, but it's called the Camino de Santiago. And it's a pilgrimage in northwestern Spain. There's seven different routes. And so I ended up just taking a month for myself last summer and flew to Portugal and then went to Spain and then went to Italy, but spent time in Spain, just flew to Europe with a backpack on (laughs) and ended up just walking for like eight days. Um, And it starts, there's seven different routes. It basically starts 
in southern France. And so if you hike the whole thing, it'll take like 35 days. Um, but I wanted to do just a chunk of it. Um, and even just walking for eight days just was so healing and just reoriented me towards moving forward. And I think going through the motions of every day of waking up and putting on my sneakers and walking to the next village. I mean, every day was like 16 kilometers between 16 and 20. So probably like 12 miles of walking a day, probably six hours of walking a day, like so much, um, but so much time for God to meet me um, and just be in such a rhythm of moving and being oriented forward. Um, and so it was just such a forward connection that I feel like oriented me to God, but also reminded me that even when life gets hard, even when you get blisters, even when you don't want to walk any further, that that you never turn back and walk back to a village that you've already come from, but kind of just being oriented towards, okay, even on the days where I feel really tired and and I'm my body's in a lot of pain, like I will still move forward and God will still meet me there. I think just kind of got me out of a rut. Um, and I think reinforced this idea that God journeys with us and God pilgrimages with us, um, through pain and through hope. Um, and so it was life-changing. I got my first tattoo in Santiago, <laughs> got a it's little time. On my ankle, can't wait to show you. Um, but it was life-changing. And, so, and it, since then I've just been on a journey of doing me and loving me and, um, I think finding healing in unexpected places. That's, gosh, that's so good. You're, you're talking about this and I'm, I'm, I'm literally visualizing what that must look like to leave from one point and then know that you will probably not get, like, you will not see that point again, like in, in this journey. Um, because you're going to be sleeping somewhere different. You're going to wake up and you'll sleep somewhere different the next time. And then I'm like, okay, so where is your vehicle? Like, where did you leave your car? Car and, <laughs> car and dog stayed with my mom. Bless right. my mom. So, like, did you Super grateful Uber? for a mom. Yes. Wait, vehicle? Are you talking vehicle in the U.S. or vehicle in Spain? I'm talking about, like, how, like wherever you started your walk, um, did you have, like, your own transportation or did you, like, get Ubered to wherever you were going to start? And then when you ended, whenever that was, you just flew somewhere else from there. Like, logistically, what does that look like? Oh, I got on a bus from Madrid and went straight north. And then the bus dropped me off in some random little town. Um, good thing I speak Spanish. It came in a lot. It came in <laughs> handy. Um, so I started there and then knew that I was walking for eight days. So I had a map that basically staged it out and so everyone else that was staying in that village we would all wake up and walk to the next destination which would be like 16 kilometers away um, and you were with a group actually, or you were by yourself I feel like it was over 20 kilometers I want to say we walk like 16 miles a day it was a lot it was, it a, was lot. a whole lot um I went by myself which seems scary I think as a single woman but I went on the route that that is the most popular. And so I always saw people at all times. And yeah. I think another big thing that I learned is I think in Western American culture, 
we think that we need to be hermits in order to recharge and heal and draw close to God. And I think silence and solitude is so important. But I think I was so surprised at how my healing found me while being in community with other pilgrims. Um, And I think that's just taught me a lot about life that, yes, it's important for us um, to be really still um, and to have moments in which we sit in silence and encounter the spirit. But I think God also moves very profoundly within community. And I think I learned so much about myself having just met pilgrims along the way. And all of us were walking for different reasons. Some people had just quit jobs and were trying to discern next steps. Some people like me um, were walking for purposes of grief and just wanted to do something for myself. I met other people who had lost loved ones. And so we're walking to honor them. Um, And I would say it was life-changing for most of us. Uh, For sure. Like even just looking at your pictures as when you were there and, and posting stuff and sending me stuff, I just was like so envious if I can say that in a righteous way, uh, because I feel like that I needed that at the time. I still need it. I like it is still very much on my bucket list to do that. Because uh, I mean, like you said, there, there's no there's no like one reason why people can do that, and I don't think they do it for exercise. I don't think people do that walk just for exercise. Like this is definitely something that's got a much deeper meaning. And I know that it was profound for you. Yeah. Uh, then, then you got to do a lot of exploration while you were there, you know, when you took some extra time. And so, I mean, would you say that you came back with like a, like a sentence or a paragraph that you could say, like, this is what happened. Or is it something that is more internal? That's just like, you know that something changed in you and you like you can't even articulate it. Hmm. I think just the metaphor of like of what I was talking about that every day, like I got blisters so bad. Like there were sure. days that were so painful. Pretty sure I walked half that yeah, I did. I walked half of it in chocolates. Because my blisters were so bad for my shoes, and I tried to do a lot of research, but apparently that research did, like, (laughs) fail me. Um, So I got a lot of blisters, and I think just the physical pain that I felt, the soreness, the blisters that I experienced, I think just taught me a lot of the metaphors of life. Um, That life is hard, that life is painful, that there will be times in which we will get blisters and we won't want to walk anymore, but I think like literally going to bed every day and waking up knowing that I was being oriented forward and that God was going to meet me in like, as I moved forward, I think just got me out of a stuck place in my life. And I think, I mean, I think the concept of pilgrimage and God journeying with us just means a lot to me. And I think it was just reinforced through literal walking. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I think I went in with the intention of like having all this quiet time and being by myself and learning all these things. But I think I was just so surprised at the ways that my life felt different and the things that I learned about God and learned about myself in ways that I could not have anticipated before. So cool. I don't know if that answers the question, but 
you did you did and I mean again there's like there's so many facets of your life just in the last year that we could literally talk for an hour on on each individual one and I love that we're like able to kind of get a glimpse of several of them right now and um, you mentioned that you speak Spanish I remember that that was one thing that uh, clicked with us because I wish I was as fluent as I once was (laughs) Uh, I was very close to getting a double major in Spanish in college, but that has literally been a decade ago. So I've, I've lost a lot of that. And then you said that when we met, we were talking about prison ministry. And I remember you talking about your, uh, your views and what you wanted for the prison system. And so if you're okay, we're going to kind of switch gears to that because, you know, I don't know if, if your views have changed since then, but I know that prison ministry is something that is still very like near to my heart. I still do it every month. And I think you, did you want to be a prison chaplain or you still want to be one or what, what does that look like? Yeah. So the whole reason I explored chaplaincy in the first place was because I was interested in being a chaplain inside of a prison. Um, I think I've been surprised working within a hospital system and being on a larger team, how much intersectionality there is in a field like hospital chaplaincy because I do experience incarcerated people that come to the hospital. Um, But I also speak Spanish a lot. I encounter people who, not as many refugees, there's a lot of refugees in this area, but I just, I feel like I experience a lot of people in different stages and seasons of life and a lot of different life circumstances um, that I'm grateful to use my gifts and my experience and I think I've been surprised at how often I see people from the prison system within the hospital so you mean like that if they have an injury or are needing surgery or something like that that they are able to get transported to a hospital correct so if they get hurt or get an infection or get sick they are brought to the hospital with correctional officers um and so it's interesting because I think I mean I just think the thing about prisons and prison ministry is there's such a stigma towards people that have a record Mm -hmm. um and I think the core of caring about the prison system or prison system reform but caring about incarcerated and formerly incarcerated people is definitely rooted in recognizing the God-given worth and dignity of each person, um, regardless of if a person has made a mistake or not. Um, And so I think it's just so easy to dismiss people who have a record or are incarcerated or coming out of prison. But um, I think it's, just really important to remember that they have families, they are people, they have stories, they have experienced pain, many have experienced trauma, um, and are ordinary people that have made a mistake just like you and I. That's so good. Do you, do you still have a desire to be a prison chaplain or after working in the hospital, do you see yourself doing more of that? Like, what is your, I know you said that you're still trying to figure out the next steps like after your residency ends but do you have an idea of where you want to go from here 
Yeah, I think it's it's one thing to say, like, I feel called to this or I want to do this. But unfortunately, in the world that we live in, it really matters, like, where there's opportunity, you know, because mm-hmm. um, your girl has to pay her bills at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think it just depends on where openings are. Um, I think I'm realizing the hard thing about being a chaplain inside of a prison or just working inside of a prison is you are working within a system that is against you. Um, And so I think as chaplains, we, regardless of what field we're in, um, we want to celebrate that everyone is created in the image of God. And we want to acknowledge that we want to celebrate that and we want to hold that sacredly. Um, But so much of the prison system is about punishment. Um, which I think there's so much that just goes against the way that God intends for a relationship to be, for the world to be. Um, And so I would love to work with incarcerated people. I think it's just hard because oftentimes if you're a chaplain inside of a prison, it's like just you. Um, And I just really care about community. And so I don't know. I've just loved working on the team that I'm on this year. I've loved working within the hospital system that I am. Um, But I think I'll always have a heart and an eye um, to see people in the world that the world doesn't want to see. Um, And I think oftentimes that is people with a criminal record. Um, So I think I'm open to where God leads. Um, Right now, I would love to stay within ICU world. Um, So I would love to be a chaplain within an ICU, but I mean, it's not like nursing or teachers in which there's thousands and thousands and tons of openings. Like each hospital probably has eight or less chaplains, if that, like Mm -hmm. maybe just a couple and the turnover, the job turnover just isn't happening all the time. Um, It's hard. I don't know. Like people, (laughs) people hear what I do and they're just like, Meredith, that's so depressing. How do you do that? But I'm like, I think when you enter into pain and you walk through fire with people, joy tastes sweeter. And honestly, grief and and experience of crisis can manifest in reflecting on someone's whole life or it can be joyful. There can be laughter. Um, but I think it just reminds me what's important in life. And so I love being a chaplain. I also just really, really care about building community, advocating for people, advocating um, for justice for people that are unseen and under-resourced and particularly people that live within communities. And so I just really care about like the micro side of things of being in Mm -hmm. relationship with people, but also recognizing that people are inherently tied to community. And, And so I think chaplaincy allows me to be within a community of staff in a community of units that have patients and families. Um, But it's definitely the deep relational work that I love. But I also, I think part of me just loves community development and um, community organizing and and zooming out a little bit from just one-on-one individual relationship. So you're not even 30 years old. Are you about to be 29? You're about to be 29. You're about to be 29 this weekend. And I'm just thinking like you, you're, you're, 
the way that you're speaking is like in a way that somebody could be 50, 60, 70 years old of all the stuff that you have seen and witnessed and experienced. And um, it's just crazy to think that you're not even 30. You are still in your 20s and you were already like, I mean, I, I say like mature. I don't even know what mature means anymore these days. I don't know. But I know other 20 and 30 year olds that are nowhere near. Uh, I, I want to think of another word than mature, but like they don't understand on the level that you do of grief and pain. And then also joy on the other side. Like you said, joy tastes mm-hmm. sweeter when you're able to walk with people through grief and especially in, in our generation. And I mean, shoot in, in our country, uh, we're so spoiled and like, you know, just very entitled. And then, you know, you're seeing so much of life that people like me, I mean, I, I see stuff too, but like, I don't get to see all the stuff that you do. Um, I don't, I don't get to, I don't have to, <laughs> like you have the unfortunate opportunity to see some of the hardest things, but people need you. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had the unfortunate opportunity of being in a hospital where we needed a chaplain and mm-hmm. it was, it was crucial. And I, I'll be honest, I don't think that they did as, as good of a job as you would have done. It mm-hmm. kind of just felt like that that was a job to them. Um, it didn't feel like their heart was in it, but I know you, and I know that when you're walking with people through trauma and through grief, like in that, you know, whatever the setting is, like, I know that you can just sit with them in it. Mm-hmm. And I just, I appreciate that about you. And it's just, it's, it's wild to me to know that, you know, as, as young as you are, that you've just got that ability um, to relate with people and walk with people. And you've got such a great heart. I mean, like you're saying, like, you just, you want everybody to feel seen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you want everybody to feel known and seen and loved and valued and respected regardless of whether they're, you know, incarcerated or they're a minority or um, they're an immigrant or, you know, whatever it is, like they're a human (laughs) and they're made in the image of God. So we need more people like you. Yeah. I just just want you to know that (laughs) you already know this. (laughs) You're so kind. I think (sighs) we all just come from life and we come to ministry and we come to being followers of God and vessels of Christ in the world, we just all come from different angles. And I think that looks different, but I think at the end of the day, like we are a body and we all need to be doing different things so that the world can be better and a little bit more beautiful and a little bit more just. And I think for some that looks caring about the land and the environment for others, it's doing direct relational care with people who are going are going through fire and for other people it means educators um like I think it just looks different but I think we're all needed um yeah I think I don't I don't take a step back and reflect on um or give myself a good job self of wow this work (laughs) is so meaningful Um, but I'm just humbled and honored and super grateful and privileged to be able to to be in people's hardest moments um but I a metaphor that I keep thinking of that that I think I thought of a lot in Chicago is like like when you think about resurrection there's no place that's closer to resurrection than the cross 
and the cross is where Christ was crucified and experienced more pain than we ever will in our entire life. But it was through crucifixion in which freedom and liberation and resurrection happened. And so I think that just summarizes, I guess, the past few years in a nutshell that I feel like I have been so close to the deepest and most profound experiences of pain I've ever experienced and other people have ever experienced. Um, but I feel like it has set me free and I am super grateful for that. And so I don't think God, I don't think God intends or wishes suffering to happen um, on people, but I think God journeys through the fire with us and walks through the valleys with us. Um, But I think it's those moments of pain in which the joy and the freedom uh, and the liberation of resurrection just tastes so much sweeter than it ever can if you if you don't go through things that are hard you know mm-hmm. or or don't have a lens to see things that are hard or have compassion for people that are going through hard things i think especially as a white woman in the us it's easy to not lean into that but i think i'm also called to use my privilege and be in spaces um, to advocate and to use my voice for causes of justice and in reminding people that they are created in the image of God, even though the world oftentimes wants to take that away. Mm. You doing the dang thing, girl. You doing it. We trying. (laughs) So you, you have your master's degree in, in what? Divinity. I did a dual master's with social work and divinity. Okay. So I feel like I wear a chaplain or I wear a pastor hat and I also wear a social work hat. (laughs) And you got that from Duke University? I went to Duke school, divinity school at Duke, and then went to social work school at UNC. So it was a joint (laughs) master's. Of of the biggest rival in history. Ask me which basketball team I like. Uh, It better be the Tar Heels. It's definitely not. We might have oh. to fight about this when we see each other next. <laughs> How can you root for the devil? God. It's because I camped out and got season tickets when I was in div school. And so when you start out in Cameron Indoor, you can't cross enemy territory. You can't, I you I can't knew, go to the other side. I, I knew this already. And I really just hoped yeah. that maybe you had gotten saved or something between <laughs> then and Sorry. now. We're we just living, walking embodies of miracles that can happen uh when we're <laughs> just on different sides of the track it's okay you know we'll just i'll just stay on the on the light heavenly side and then i'll just pray that you switch to this side <laughs> no we can still be friends we can call right. a truce. okay we'll call a truce uh so i don't i don't even think i heard and maybe I, maybe I shouldn't ask this on the on the pod for everyone to hear. But how did your Hebrew exam go? Uh, not well. Oh. I I don't even know. I got a C plus in the class. Have n- never been more excited about a C plus ever, dude. I bet I celebrated I that imagine. because I passed the class. God. So basically, I had to take. I have to take all these classes. I have to catch up on classes in order to become ordained through the Presbyterian church. Um, And Hebrew was one of those requirements. So while being full-time chaplain, 
I embarked on the journey of taking biblical Hebrew for 10 weeks and I like crawled my way to the finish line, but it happened. I don't even know what I got on that exam. I don't think it was good at all because my grade came down in the class, but hey, you passed and that's incredible. I just know when you said that you were taking Hebrew, I was like, oh my gosh, there's not many like worse things that I can imagine taking. Yeah, I don't recommend it. Nobody take it. Do not recommend. Oh, man. My best friend, she struggled with her Greek class when she was a, a religious studies major. And uh, I just, yeah, I mean, Spanish, that's easy. Like, that is easy peasy to me. But Greek and Hebrew, as much as I would love yeah. to know them because of the Bible, yeah, I was just like, There's, that's crazy. And to think of that, you were doing that while you were working and doing all this. So, yeah, it was yeah. not, it was not a good time. I think there's merit to learning Hebrew. I don't want to be a biblical scholar, but I'm Mm -hmm. grateful for the Hebrew Bible and I freaking love the Old Testament. So learned a lot, but will I use it a lot? If ever, probably not, but I had to do it. So, well, you know, in in a separate conversation between me and you, then I might ask you some stuff about the Old Testament Hebrew because I do have a lot of questions. I freaking love the Old Testament. Okay. Well, like we're, we're winding down. Um, we've got a few minutes left on the, on this episode. And I just, I want to ask a couple of things. Um, one's going to be more heavy and one's going to be more light, but I do want to know that in the last, we'll, we'll just say in the last year, like since I've known you and since you have had a lot of life changes, um, has your view of God and your relationship with God changed? Uh, and if so, how? Um, oh, that's deep. <laughs> um, I don't, I feel like my view of God doesn't really change. I feel like how I see God and experience God has become more expansive over time. Um, I think this year has allowed me to experience God in more how would I say this um in more depth so like I've experienced God through the highest of highs and the lowest of lows um I think I've experienced more death this year than I have in my entire life and so that has felt really sacred and I think has forced me to contemplate death and um like I think we talk a lot about death as end of life um Mm -hmm but I've been challenged recently to see it as the beginning of death um, and see it as a beautiful thing. Um, I think I experienced death in the hospital a lot as, I mean, there's so much sadness and so, so much emotion that's tied into it. But I think at the end of the day, um, a person becomes completely at peace and one with God and their suffering ends. And that is a beautiful thing. Um, so I think my fear of death and my fear of what my life will be with God when I die, I think has gone down. Um, yeah, I think, I think I see God as, as a being, as one that holds so much um like the worst of the worst and the best of the best and everything in between but I think I 
confidently say and remind people every day that there's nothing that God is not capable of holding or feeling um, or taking on as God's own. Wow. I knew that was going to be heavy. Yeah. I I knew it was going to be rich. I think every day just feels very sacred because, I mean, I'm walking the thin line between life and death with people every single day. But I think so much of what I do every day is I'm constantly talking to God in prayer um, and entering into that experience with other people and community. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just feel like the work that I do, that I have the privilege and honor of doing, is just extremely holy. And so I think, yeah, I think the spirit just meets me a lot in the midst of, I feel like, constantly being in a state of prayer. And knowing that I cannot do this life without God and the grace of God and the love of God. So good. So good. All right. So the the lighter part of this question, <laughs> which is a completely different question. Uh, so you're about to turn 29 on Sunday. Oh, yeah. And what do you have planned that is fun and exciting and potentially life-changing for this next year of your life oh yeah um so the perk of having a summer birthday and also a perk of being a swimmer is I always want to be in the water Mm -hmm. so I think I just moved to Raleigh this year and so I've like been building a new life for myself and I think just claiming the things that I love and claiming my people and loving my people And so all I want for my birthday is to be near water. So I plan on going to the Eno River with my friends, including Catherine. Heck yeah. Super pumped. She's making the journey. We're going to have a cookout. (laughs) And all I want is to eat ice cream sandwiches. So I'm hoping a couple (laughs) people will make different varieties of cookies. And we will bring ice cream and make our own homemade ice cream sandwiches. Um. That sounds amazing. Do you have any trips planned? Oh, and the outing on Saturday will be BYOT, bring your own tube. (laughs) So it's only ladies. Um, They're invited. My select, just kidding. It might be like between five and 10. Awesome ladies will be showing up to the river, hopefully with a tube, maybe some sexy sun hats. Um, Probably. (laughs) I'll be in a snapback. (laughs) Most likely getting crunk on the river with some twerk music. So that's how I'm ringing in my 29th year, guys. You do know that when you turn 29, that actually means you're starting your 30th year. You do know this, right? No, I didn't know that until you said it. And I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, because when you turn one as a baby, that means you just completed your first year. Mm. So on your first birthday, you actually start your second year so you are like on Sunday you will start your 30th year that's wild just wanted to Um, put that out there for you what was your other question that I ignored do I have plans for this year yeah like do you have any trips planned do you have anything exciting that you want to do like it might might not be planned yet but like what is a a dream that you have that you want to accomplish this year big time um well I this is a new development that I actually have not told Catherine but I have been very empowered this year to claim part of my identity as an artist. And so 
I think I have been living in the closet as a talented artist for many years and I just have not talked about it. And I have finally gotten to the point where I'm owning it and claiming it and selling it. I've never done that. What? So I have five people in line who are commissioning massive canvases. Um, I do abstract painting. And so I have five people in line who want, I'm talking three foot by three foot paintings. So (laughs) I got my easel. My easel's ready to go. I got my first canvas ready for one of my nurses at work who wants a painting for her living room. So I plan on making art and selling art this year. And I haven't painted this much, probably ever. I've painted a lot, but it's been like spread out. So I think I'm going to claim that artist part of myself this year. So going to be painting a lot and hopefully my art will help fund a trip to Croatia to go celebrate a friend who's getting married at the end of September. And then I also want to go to Madrid and do another section of the Camino before I go to Croatia. So my brain is like always swirling with travel ideas, but those are the biggest ones. I just need to actually buy the flight with the money that I don't have. <laughs> this is great. The story of my life. <laughs> yeah. I need to book a flight with the money that I don't have. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. That sounds like a really great plan. And um probably need to get a move on that because if you're trying to go to Croatia in September and you're wanting to go to Madrid before that you know we only got a little bit of time here you're I don't need to be stressed out right now you're (laughs) stressing me out enough telling me I'm starting my 30th year oh I'm sorry that was probably a a heavy load I didn't mean to drop on you right there yeah those are two heavy loads okay I'm gonna get on it it's gonna happen I think I'm gonna fly into Madrid do the Camino thing and then just get on a flight and go to Croatia, go to the wedding, do the dancing thing, have fun. Because uh, you're a dancer. A bit. Oh, yeah. Some of two of my PA friends from the hospital might actually fly out and join me in Croatia. So, cool. so we'll see. Stay tuned. Okay. All right. I got but three rapid the fire dreams. questions. All right. Three rapid fire questions. First of all, what is your favorite type of dance? Ooh. Um... It's definitely hip hop. Do I have a lot of rhythm? No, (laughs) but I think dancing is the most joyful form of exercise. Like why the hell would people go run 26 miles? I don't know. It's (laughs) not fun. Like I just think about how much I'm going to die every time I try to do it. Um, Okay. So hip hop dance. It's like hip hop, like twerk music, like all all out, bust out (laughs) the moves that with the rhythm and the coordination that I don't have. But like I Taylor gotta, Swift. I just gotta let it rip. I, I love it. Um, all right. Do you know your Enneagram number? Enneagram seven, wing eight. Okay. That makes so much sense. Yeah. And um, Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings? Harry Potter, thousand percent. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. I've never That's seen fine. Lord of the Rings. Oops. Well, then how can you even make a judgment because i'm obsessed with harry potter okay fine whatever i I like it too but i'm also obsessed with lord of the rings i do like both um is there anything else meredith that you want to say before we log off of this episode um thanks for having me Catherine's the best thank you it is a good people to have in your corner and has been a solid prayer warrior for me this year on my hardest days so it's good to be here 
man thank you yeah everyone Uh, should just go try dancing even if you don't have any rhythm or coordination totally empowerment to you today life is too short you're right i'll just close with reminding everyone that you only live once so those things that you're thinking about doing just do it just do it life's Life's, too short you don't know it's too short to not go twerking just do it (laughs) awesome all right what secret Yes, yeah, there might I'm be ready. there might be a mullet that shows up to the river on Saturday. A mullet? Yeah. A like mullet. a hair mullet? Maybe. A wig mullet. Maybe. A wig what? Like an animal? No, a mullet. Like a mullet. Hair mullet. Like hair a hair mullet. mullet. Yep. On your head? Maybe. Oh my god. Are okay. you gonna have a mullet? You gotta show up to the river to find out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show up to the river. I might get baptized. All right. Oh gosh. All right. Sounds well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Thank All you right. so much. Uh, enjoy your night. This is one of the latest podcast episodes that I've ever done. So, in case everybody's wondering, this is 10:30 at night, Eastern Standard Time. Thanks so, for having a podcast about God and talking about hard things. Thank you. I appreciate you. And I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to have more guests. So if you're listening and I haven't invited you yet. Keep listening to this. Keep listening. I'm, you're probably going to be a guest at some point on okay. this pod. <laughs> All, All right. right. Happy birthday, Meredith. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Church Talks. Hey, before you guys leave and start listening to another episode of Church Talks, could you take 10 or 15 seconds and just go on Spotify, Apple, wherever you're listening and click follow or subscribe or like or the plus sign, whatever it is where you're listening. Uh, That would mean a ton to me. And that way you'll never miss episodes when they're coming out on the weekends. Thank you so much, as always, for listening and supporting and subscribing and following. I love you guys so much.